Welcome, TV and film addicts. It's Baron and the Doc here for episode 50 of That Reminds Me Of. And today we're talking about the Netflix sensation Squid Game by Huang Dong Hyuk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be a real feature of this episode, isn't it, Doc? Us mangling every single name of uh, all of the peop- good people in this show. I reckon we've been leaning into mangling names uh, over <laughs> several episodes. So that's that's a feature of the of this show in general, isn't it? That we have. That's um, right. And if you haven't listened to this, too, that reminds me of before. Um, this is the podcast and YouTube thingo Majigo where we talk about shows and the shows that we were reminded of while watching those shows. Um, and there are always spoilers, so beware of those. If those bother you, go watch it first. The podcast and YouTube thingamajingo. So that's what we are. <laughs> that's I've what we been are. trying to define what we're pretending to do here, and that, that <laughs> seems like an apt description. That's all I got. That's all I got. I think it covers it. Well, it does remind me, pun intended. Is that a pun? It's not a pun, is it? Which <laughs> well, I'm just using the same language as our show. But it reminds me that we should be asking people when they're watching us, if you're half enjoying this, hit subscribe wherever it is. Correct. Um, maybe like, maybe give us a review. We're available on all the on all the channels. If you love the show, subscribe and like and share <laughs> with all your friends. I don't know. That's I always give my daughter crap for that because everything she watches, that's in there. And whenever yeah. she's doing her, uh, you know, like her make believe YouTube channels, which she does, that's like a kids play thing now to just pretend you've got a YouTube channel. My um, goodness, she reels off like all of those things. Uh, and that's just part of the game. Okay, so maybe that's the first and last time we'll ask people to subscribe. <laughs> if they like it, they can make up their own mind. They can be adults and decide for themselves. <laughs> cool. How have you been, Baron? Yeah, I've been great. I've been great, Doc. Um, it's uh, there's, Things are happening as still, you know, there's work going on, but at the same time, I'm moving further along with my feature development on Locked In. On Sunday, we've got a uh, all-day writers' room session that we're going to be doing, which oh, is wow. going to be which is going to be fantastic. And then uh, I started with my mentor, my new mentor last last week, which was have great. We did, have we discussed that on the on the show? I can't remember. No, we haven't. No, I, I don't think so. So just to explain it, I I applied for this mentorship with the Australasian Horror Writers Association which is mm. a thing here in wow. Australia. Um, they're just a whole bunch of horror nerds that get together and share horror stories and, and things like that, which is awesome. And they had this mentorship that they advertised. So I applied and one of the mentors on the list was Shane Armstrong, who's a writer here in Australia. He lives in Queensland. He's made a lot of, made a lot of horror films and some kids animation and other things. So I just thought, what a great opportunity to learn from someone that's, um, some years in front of me, he's done mm. some of that work already. I've always sort of feared away from having mentors, but I think it's just foolish young pride um, in early years. But as as I get older, I start to realise that perhaps I should have been doing it all along and probably should still be doing it now. I have no idea myself. I've never had a mentor before, so this is the first mm. for me. And who knows what will come of it, honestly. Other than I've met I've met him now and he's a great dude. 
and we're already just getting along. So that's cool in it in in itself, you know. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. And what and what about you, Doc? What's been happening? I've been working too hard, as as you know, uh, and I was going to say hating every minute of it, but um, people at work <laughs> might see this. Though I, I love it. I love every second. Of it. Uh, but I've been escaping. I think I said last time I've just been getting into my reading, and I'm on Don Quixote at the at the moment. Oh, get out of town! Have you yeah. read Don Quixote? No, I haven't. I haven't. It's a thick one. It is, isn't it? Look at that. Um, Remind me who who wrote Don Quixote? Cervantes. Cervantes, um, okay. who's a Spanish chap, kind of considered one of the first, if not the first, novel. It's really a, really a great, a great read. A lot of our early episodes were on that mateship and the, the sort of the yes bro- bromances and that sort of thing. That's right. This is, this is one of the first bromances between Don Quixote and uh, Sanzo Panza, Pan- Sancho Panza. Sorry, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know how I've gone this long in my life without reading it. It's great. I'll, um, once I'm done, I'll give you a proper, proper so, review. Great, great, because that that that's got to be probably on my list as well. And I and I've never read it. Whatever, put that up there with the Count of Monte Cristo and all sorts of things like that. Which um, have you? I mean, there's just so many. There's, there's so there's, many. There's so many, many classics. It's it's a bit distressing because you can never get get through them all in your life. So you've really got to be selective about what you decide to to read. And yet every single Stephen King book that comes out, I will read it. <laughs> I've not read any Stephen King book ever, but I, I do want to because I know he's a master. Yes. Um, but I, I think I'm trying to knock, knock over the well, original masters first. You're starting at the beginning. Yeah. That's great. And so really the first sort of what they consider a novel in the current form, that's, that's possibly one of the first. Is that what you're saying? I don't want to be quoted on this, but yes. Could you imagine knowing that you were writing doing the first of something that big, something that was going to change the world to that degree? Well, I think the style of it is, it, it seems like he's almost chanced upon writing a novel because it starts off as quite just a uh, an episode, like a little short ditty about a, an adventure of this this chap. And then you can see it evolves and it's, it's kind of, an, it's an episodic story. So there's just little little uh, stories within stories and that just pieces all together. So it's almost as if it just became became a novel, I think. Yeah, interesting. Because mm. I guess I guess before that you would have had like um, poetic sagas and things like this that, that were around, at, mm. but this is the first of its kind of form. That's, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah kinda. I'm, sh- I'm sure all, all my um, uni mates will be throwing... Tomatoes. Like, what the, the hell? <laughs> What's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what is Doc on about? That's yeah. great. I love it. And 50 episodes, Doc. Congratulations. Congrats, dude. We've, they, we've... Said they said we'd never make it. <laughs> those people. <laughs> those that was people. us that said that. <laughs> We're the only ones watching anyway. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All two subscribers. <laughs> um, no, 50 episodes. And the, the bittersweet thing is I'm, I'm really happy to get to 50. But mm. we had talked about our 50th episode being live in studio, hadn't we? Mm, so we're, we had... we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Hopefully we're just weeks away now. Hopefully not, not, not far at all. Yeah. Could even be our next one. That would be great. That would be great. 51. 51 still sounds cool. That's a cool number. Yeah, or maybe we should have done like Miff and like 50, 49 and a half until oh, we get to the we just the 51. increments until we get to 50. <laughs> oh, well, we've blown that now, haven't we? 
Speaking of blowing it, what has blown Netflix out of the stratosphere is Squid Game. I, I, I think we just dive into the to the waters with the squids. What do you think? I agree, man. I agree. Squid Game is is just a phenomenon, and uh, all of the hype that, that comes with it is really interesting. But there's also this backstory of you know a filmmaker, writer, director who's who had this incredible concept and spent 10 years trying to get it made and nobody would do it. Everybody turned him down, which is just such a, I mean, this is probably, I don't, I don't know which studios he was going to. I'm assuming they're all in Korea, Um, but it's just feels like a Hollywood story, doesn't it? You know, in some ways, this, this sleeper cult classic that just can't get made because everybody won't, they, they just can't see it. They can't see it for what it is. They say, no, they say, no, finally, Someone has the vision to say yes, and it, it not only is successful, it is the most successful thing that's, that's been made on Netflix. Is it really? Yeah. Already? It's no, yeah. It's number one in 90 countries on, on Netflix. Wow. Well, I didn't know that backstory of the director or, or anything, so I'm, mm. I only heard about it by you and others mentioning squid games and doing little squid emojis in your texts and this sort of crap and <laughs> I, I didn't i hadn't heard the hype um and then all of a sudden watch the first one and then had to binge it every now and again we get reminders that all the people who say that they know how this works have no idea how this works <laughs> That's and so this is true. this is one of them this is one yeah. of those reminders yeah <laughs> i love uh, it well let's let's what, what's it about um are we going to go with our usual cop out of just reading IMDb? Yes, please. Because I think it's going to be terrible and I can't wait. Okay. Well, uh, summaries. We'll just say the first thing that's, that's, that it says here. <laughs> Hundreds can't... of cash-strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games. Inside, a tempting prize awaits with deadly high stakes. A survival game that has a whopping 45.6 billion one is that how you say it? One, I, I one, think so. Um, $45.6 billion <laughs> prize at stake. That's it. There's a bit more, though, underneath that. I'll read that. A story of people who fail at life for various reasons but suddenly receive a mystery, mysterious invitation to participate in a survival game to win more than $38 million US dollars. <laughs> so they've changed. <laughs> changed it to US dollars. They've converted, because no, converted it because nobody <laughs> understands what 45.6 billion won means. No one yeah. can pronounce it perhaps. <laughs> yeah. um, the game takes place at an unknown location and the participants are locked up until there is a final winner. The story will incorporate popular children's games from the 1970s and 80s of Korea, such as Squid Game, literal translation of its Korean name which is a type of tag where offense and defense use a squid-shaped board drawn in the dirt. Which, by the way, I had that game described to me via this show two or three times, probably three times by the end of the season, and I still have no idea what how that game works. It just makes no sense to me. No, no, it didn't to me either, although I read just five minutes before this we started recording, I read a perfect description of it, which was... Oh. Uh, I'm not going to do it justice, but um, basically you just have to get from one end into the squid's head and if you're the attacker, meaning you're trying to get there, uh, you've got to hop on one leg. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Something like that. 
Yeah. And um, but luckily, every other game in this show is very easy to understand. And uh, except for one thing, I noticed that they play, they aside from one of the marble games, almost all of them were, were variations of marbles that I've never I've never seen played before. There was just one that I recognized in there from when I was a kid, which is basically put all your marbles in the circle and try to bomb them out of the circle. That was the one I used to play. I'd never seen that one. Oh, okay. I, I don't think I played with marbles. I, I had marbles, but I think I just rolled them around. <laughs> I didn't know there were other things you could do with them. Oh, we went through a full, a full phase in primary school where all the boys had marbles and they were like coveted marbles and all around, like you'd go out at recess and there was the bombing game, but that was kind of like a, a way to lose all your marbles and, and not be, mm. feel very satisfied about it. Um, whereas it was a lot better to, to play sort of one-on-one where you shoot your marble out into the middle of nowhere and then keep, basically you play tag, like you kind of go after each other and try and hit that other person's marble so you can win it. No, that's all foreign to me. Okay, um, yeah. I suppose that's where the saying lost your marbles comes from. Yes, I think so. doesn't quite match, but... You know, I guess it was one of those phases like having a yo-yo. Maybe like every seven years, there's like a one year where the kids all play marbles. Yep, and you got the year. Yep, that's right. Yeah. I, I got the hula hoops. <laughs> you got the hula hoops. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's a rough one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell me, I don't think I have to ask uh, yeah. because you may, you're you at least half Korean in my book. So you're <laughs> like, you seem to like everything that comes out of there. So I'm assuming that you have loved this yeah. and I want to know if you loved it from the get-go or was did it creep up on you? Tell me your story about getting into Squid Game. <laughs> I loved it from the get-go. The second I pressed play on this thing, I was hooked. <laughs> uh, and it had it has a familiar Korean setup. Mm. Uh, there's there's something that we've, we've we've talked about Korean cinema and Korean shows before, and there's something about the highly unlikable, kind of sleazy working class dude who just cannot seem to succeed and is questionable on, in every decision and choice that he makes um, and yet you come to to root for and love um, and it's in this show we've talked about it in some other films which we'll probably talk about in this episode but yeah that that stereotype or that archetype that they have in a lot of korean shows is is something that i love yeah it really it had a familiar feel it felt like you were going back into some parasite universe totally or, or what you know one of the other rippers and just putting on a comfy pair of tracksuit pants i i started though and it was audio, audio dubbed so oh. i turned it on played it and for the first 5 minutes i was getting not quite american accents but really odd <laughs> awful overdubbed accents and it did funny things to the rest of the soundtrack and it was awful and i i'm, I'm thinking surely surely not Surely this is not how it's meant to be consumed. And then I realised that, um, you know, I went to the settings and changed it, but I don't know whose decision it was. I've never, I've certainly never chosen to have Weird. it dubbed. Yeah. Mine, mine, is, mine was automatically on Korean subtitles, uh, English subtitles with the Korean, you know, sound mm-hmm. um, and language on there. And I don't know why it would do the opposite to you, but I know a lot of people are watching this with the dub with the dubbed sound because they don't want to read subtitles maybe that's why maybe it's um because netflix would go on algorithms maybe mm. they've discovered that 
most people want to hear the English and therefore make that the default or something. Because I was, it surprised me. I was devastated. But then on the upside, when I had the victory of, of changing it up, <laughs> I, it just felt like then I'd really entered into the universe and it was so such a good feeling. And from there it had me. I love it. That's great. Um, it just it just reminds me. Uh, I saw a, a quote from Bong Joon Ho, who did the mm. um, who did Parasite, was the director and writer of that. Um, that was in the news recently about the one inch tall barrier. Do you, you see that? No. He was, he, he was basically saying that once people can get past and can overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be intro- <laughs> you'll be introduced to this world of amazing stories and. It's so true, but some people just, so many people can't get past it. You, you don't even realise they're there after a while, do you? Mm. You just don't. And you luxuriate in the sounds of the voices, you know, the intonations, and yes. all of that brings another a level to it. Like, and it's more, it's, it's, it's more evocative than, than English speakers, uh, Absolutely. the Korean language. The original performances, the... The comedy that comes through with those that the American actors that are trying to, you know, nail yeah. that would be, I, I just don't even know how that process works. But you know it's going to be wrong. It's going to be off. Oh, look, I understand them doing it, you know, a generation ago maybe, but now it shouldn't even be countenanced. Totally agree. And your your initial thoughts beyond after that? Absolutely loved it. I just loved it his character so let's let's start stuffing up the names but um the gihun yep gihun is what i've got yep um, that that's my crappy pronunciation as well okay let's be consistent crappiness (laughs) uh he was just so relatable i know he was a a deadbeat but you just felt for him straight away and you're you're going with him to the track and winning and losing and you just can't help but be on his side and then then when he's he wins the money and loses it again and it's this big roller coaster and it's the the character is set up so beautifully you really know so much about about him before you even start so that was just a great intro what a what a funny bastard and i think you know whenever mm. somebody goes out whenever you see a character like this even though you know they're a loser on one level like he's just you know you know this guy's not going to win at life the way he's going right <laughs> yeah you got to admire his passion i think Everything he does, he's just, you know, he's going after it in the moment, full throttle. He's all in. He's all in all the time. There's something about that. What a great character, you know. (laughs) And even though it's like watching a train wreck, you you can't take your eyes off him and you need to to see what he's going to do next. And you don't get these characters that often that are that sort of um, balls out from the very start. And that's, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated about the show. And in fact, all of the characters that you come across, there's very little subtlety in terms of like, oh, that's a sort of <laughs> melancholy person who's gonna sort who's gonna take four episodes to develop. Like they're all they're all showing, balls out. <laughs> they're all balls out right from the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what a what a nice little ensemble, you know. All all of these hard luck stories. How many of the ones that we really care about? There's there's the the girl Say Bjork. Bjork. Yep. Say Bjork. Um, there's Sang Woo, uh, who is his best mate. From from childhood. From childhood. And there's Ali Abdul from Pakistan. Yep, who's just the nice guy, strong man of the group. Yeah, and, and like 
those ones and their their backstories. Plus the so, plus yeah. the old man Il Il Nam Il Nam. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Although we meet we meet him when we're in there, don't we? We do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, him and and a couple of others getting to know intimately those players early on, you really get a sense of, of, of what's at stake with all of them, don't you? And you say, well, I'm rooting for this guy, but hang on. I'm also rooting for this one and this one and this one, and they can't all win. And then you, you look around at the rest of the crowd and you think, well, each one of them is going to have the same story. This is, this is a horror show mm. about to happen. Yes. I think once you realise in that is it the first episode? It's the very big. It's the end of the first episode where they they play the first game, mm-hmm. and you realise that a lot of people are going to die each time they play a game. You start to come to terms with this idea that these characters you are you are growing to love. You're also going to watch them die, and you're doing that process in your head at the same time. You're growing to love them, knowing that very soon you'll be watching them die, which is a really interesting place to be because they often. In shows and movies, they kind of, they, yeah. they try to sneak the death on you, you know, like they try to get you to love them so that they can surprise you by killing them an episode later. And this show, you know exactly what's coming. You, you know that, you know, there's going to be one winner. You know what the format is. Yeah, you do. Mm. And, and you keep watching. And you keep and watching. I, I, think, I think some people, it's not for everyone, I, I don't think. Like the violence is... It's pretty steep. It is. Uh, look, look behind you at all that blood on the on the staircases. Yeah. Like it's it is hard to watch. Uh, so you you want to make sure it's um, you know you you look at the rating before you step into it. And I guess um, even though we sort of have talked about it a little bit, just for the people who haven't seen this show yet and for some reason are watching this or listening to this, <laughs> um, you know. Every every episode almost in this in this there's a new game played and every time there's a game played it's a child's game and anyone who doesn't finish the game is killed like you either win or you're dead that's 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 the way this works um, and there's something like you can see where that idea comes from it's some, but there's something really macabre and and interesting about playing kids games where the stakes are well it's like keepsies for real you know. Mm. And you can see the setup, but that initial scene when they're as put down boys playing the game, mm. and that said quite a lot actually, didn't it? Because our hero won the game, yeah. and it was like the highlight of his life, and he's the epitome of someone who peaked way, way too early <laughs> <laughs> yeah. by winning Squid Game. That's right. Uh, and his mate went on to supposedly do great things, although we see that that's not all that it seems. But that really, really sets it up, and I think even then you can see that there's violence innate violence in that type of setup and we're going to actually see it see it play out absolutely hey do you want to talk about just real quick the mm. um the interesting plot twist it's not really a twist it's sort of a a little a deviation plot sort of oh it's it's like episode two they leave the game yeah which i just thought was really interesting like normally and this would be you know this would be the way you would do it i'm thinking you get everybody in there and then every episode they play a game and people die and till you in, until you get to the end but what happens in episode 2 is they all for, they all have this option the players to mm-hmm. vote to not play anymore and they yep. do and they they win enough votes actually just one vote i think it is is the decider and they all go home mm. but then and i think this really is sort of 
twisting the turning the screw on this idea of the hopelessness of this addiction that these people have mm. they all decide to go back it's, it's yeah. incredible that was that was probably in hindsight the the most creative part of the the script i think as mm. far as the plot goes. i agree like it really was unexpected and but it added such a layer because you you go back into the world and see that the the real world juxtaposed against that fake world you get more insight into the into the characters and mm-hmm. when they go back the 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 desperation is just doubled down isn't it and they they pretty much all go back from memory yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think they lose just a, a small percentage of them the rest all come back i will, i it made it reminded me of uh Joseph Campbell. I think you like Joseph Campbell's Hero Journey, don't you? I don't. I don't. Like yeah, it so I haven't. Much. I haven't really studied it so much. No, but I know of it. Yeah. yeah, I haven't studied it greatly either. But one of his plot points, <laughs> I guess, is the refusal of the call. Mm. Yeah, when you are called to adventure and then refuse that call, and and then eventually go back. You say yes, oh, maybe not, and then okay. That's a great call, and it's just done in such a. a noticeable way here where like literally everybody leaves you know whereas yeah. normally that refusal of the call is the main character you know saying it's like um ridley from alien saying actually um, i don't like the last thing i want is to go back anywhere where those things are and then she gets talked into it yeah this yeah. was a group refusal it's a group refusal <laughs> yeah they, vo- they voted to refuse it to refuse the call the um the the talking into it part is just that their lives are so freaking terrible in reality mm-hmm. or at least they think they are yeah um although you'd question you'd question that anything's as bad as what happens within the game yeah although it's you know if you've got nothing to lose like the um his best mate sang Wu, he was mm. going to kill himself clearly like it was pretty clear yeah why not go into the yeah. game it's a good point and and you know you hear horrible stories about mm about people who go to casinos, mm. gamble the last of their money, and then commit suicide. You hear these stories. So I suppose that's the, that's the level of desperation and addiction that we're talking about. Yeah. And if that and were the case and you had a chance to play a, a child's game and maybe win it all, would you do it? Not you me, know? but <laughs> conceivably. <laughs> Probably not me, but yes. So you talked about the structure and it is, yeah, every every episode is a new game and you're really looking forward, I think, in every episode to that part of it, aren't you? That's the point. To the whatever maniacal, twisted, nasty thing they're going to come up with next. Yeah. yeah. In And in that way, I guess we are just as bad as the people who are paying to, oh. to watch to watch that whole thing play out. So if you want to get all meta... It's, it's the Black it, Mirror. Yeah, it is, because <laughs> we are paying our 14 bucks a month or whatever Netflix costs these days uh, we are. To, to watch people get, you know... Not only that, 90 countries around the world have placed this show as number one, like the show that they all want to watch the mm. most. We've all signed up to be the mob who will watch the gladiators take each other out. It's as, it's as old as that, isn't it? Like it's, yeah. it's like the Romans, you know, with the lions and the Catholics at the, yes. col- at the Colosseum. It's like, it's like Russell Crowe saying, are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, we, we loved it and we loved all those characters. We can 
we could dive into any one of them forever. Was there anything that fell flat in throughout? Let's forget the last episode. We'll yes. talk about that at the end. And I'm not suggesting that falls flat at this stage. I'm just saying let's forget <laughs> we'll it. We'll leave that right to later. Now. Just to open up that convo, I think some of the the subplots aren't quite as strong as the main game. Like there's the the organ harvesting, you know, mm. operation that's happening. There's the uh, Policeman in search of his brother. Correct. Yeah. I don't. I don't think any of that was bad, but I would argue it's it's um, a bit of a sideshow that I was okay with, but could have done without too. I agree, and it doesn't really add up to much in the end, does it? There's a lot of investigating going on around the place, and I suppose the investigating of that police officer mm. gives you a little bit of a backstory as to the back end of this operation, how it's all coming together. But do we need that? Yeah, sort of agree. Like it was okay. It was okay. You know, you know the the bit that bothered me the most mm. was around episode. How many were there? Were there seven in total or or eight? I'm trying to remember. Was there nine? Maybe. Ooh, great nine. question. There's nine. There's nine. Nine okay. episodes. Okay, so around then it must be seven or eight. The VIPs arrive. Ooh, yep. And that was the worst thing ever. Because <laughs> it was. It was just horribly written and and performed for these American, particularly the American guy was really bad. But even the, there was a British guy and someone who sounded like he was from, he was Danish or something. I don't know, but like there was this group of rich white dudes and they were, um, they were just so their dialogue was so on the nose and their their performance was just I found it really cringeworthy. I had a problem with that. <laughs> well, well, a I completely agree, and just to. Mm. To fast forward to it reminds me of, it kind of reminded me of Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. It's probably obvious they all had masks on. Yeah, um, absolutely. That, that creepiness, but but not as good. What it did make me think was it's kind of like the, the table's turn. So if we, we've grown up on English-speaking films in Hollywood and, and whatever, and you'll have other nationalities completely caricatured Yes, you know, uh, which see, may seem perfectly authentic to us. Yes, uh, and they're probably you, you know when we see an Aussie, you know, an Aussie in an American <laughs> film, it's like yeah. a cliche. So this is really what the Koreans think, imagine Americans to be to be like, or the English or whatever. Counterpoint. So mm. I totally agree uh, that that could be possibly what's going on here. And I had a friend tell me, because I made this point with him, that I, this bothered me so much. And, mm. and he was like, well, I kind of loved it because um, I think it was all done on purpose, you know, to say, to sort of point out how obnoxious and, I don't know, cliched that that rich American people can seem, can seem to them in Korea, you know what I mean? So, like, it was... It was an interesting way to, to look at it. Like, okay, so maybe the point is made here. Mm. Um, I'm going to make these guys look as, as obnoxious as they seem. I'm going to sort of make caricatures of them. And that's all they were doing in the film. Like they were a device rather than a, mm. you know, a fleshed out troop of, of players. Yes, yes <laughs> absolutely. But uh, for, as, as, as an Australian watching, yeah, I found it really hard to watch. Those were the yeah. scenes that made me cringe the most. Everything else I just loved. And then I'd get to those and go, oh, God, what's yeah. going on here? No, it was hard. Yeah. Uh, what was what was quite nice, though, was that one moment where the 
the real disgusting one, you know, it was unmasked. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that was that was really compelling. So they were cliched up until then. You know, they're masked, they're purposely just symbolic, mm. and then all of a sudden you've got this real, real man with a real face and a real fat body, scared. And and that that was quite real, and probably more real for having been introduced as a cliche to begin with. Yes, you know, you know, the other thing that was funny too is I, I was I was all bothered by the way these characters were coming across, um, and my friend that I was talking with it about just goes, you know, what really bothered me is like, how on earth are they going to drink those glasses of wine with those masks on? <laughs> and I was like, great point. How yes. are they going to do that? It's funny. But yeah, no, it, it did feel like on a lot of levels, <laughs> those scenes were a bit of a cliche and it, and it makes you wonder how intentional that was. Hmm. So maybe we should err on the on the side of it was intentional and there's, you know, we're, we're meant to take it that way. I think that and other bits were there as sign points, sign, signposts, and as I said, devices more than anything anyway. So maybe the, you know, the thing about them not being able to drink is a is a fair point to indicate that the filmmakers don't really care about that sort of stuff. The other example I'm thinking is when the organ harvesting racket is going on and you see on the CTV cameras, you know, people running through corridors and, and even when the policeman guy is running through corridors. In this sort of world, you would just think that they're, that would be seen. Like I know mm. they, they show them erasing it, but that all just seems so far-fetched. Yeah, that they'd be able to follow them and erase them just in time without being caught by all the other faceless um, men, men there. So that made me think. Well, mate, just don't take it too seriously. Like they're, <laughs> yes, they're, the the point they're making is that there's stuff happening behind the scenes. Yes, um, they're doing enough to get that story across, but you know, don't worry about the details. And what that did give you before the policeman sort of uncovers it is this sense of of depth, like this world has existed for a while, long yeah. enough for a marketplace to kind of grow around these dead mm. bodies, you know, like you get, you, you definitely get that sense from it. And like that these games and this little weird maze that's behind me has been cleaned and repainted so many times over the years and been added to and built out. With the cop. Yeah. Yeah, less convincing the whole storyline. But I knew from almost the outset, I reckon, that, spoiler alert, if we haven't said it. <laughs> we have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that the top dog was his brother. Like, was Did that... you? I didn't pick that up. Okay. I didn't. I mean, but it, it when you see it, you're like, oh, it's his brother, of course. Makes sense. Uh, no, didn't pick that up. I, I really, honestly, up until the moment that we figure it all out, was thinking that he was going to find his brother in uh, the files somewhere and that he would have died. And then actually you realize he's a winner. And then mm. I expected he was going to be one of the rich people coming in, not the top dog, but uh, okay. you, you saw it from the beginning. It's cool. Well, you're, I probably would have liked your version better, but maybe that's just because it went against what I, what, what my instinct was. But yeah. Uh, one thing, another thing that is for sure that I know just as well as I knew that is that he's back, baby, in the next season. Yes, I agree. The cop, yeah. you mean? The cop, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he got shot in the shoulder and fell off a cliff. Like, that's a classic. <laughs> how, how many times have we seen that in, in films? Yeah, shot in the shoulder and fell off a cliff into, into, water. into water. Yeah, That guy's coming back. He's, 
He's back already. He's barely He's wounded. In the studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any 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 high points we want to talk about throughout that um, deserve particular mention? Um, yes, the the gang boo gang boo. I can't say it. Gang boo episode where they play marbles. Yes, was devastating. It was such a good episode. It was it was wonderful because if you remember the episode before that, they had turned them all into teams by making them play tug of war and become teams of 10. Mm. So the players had just gotten used to this idea of being in teams. And then they say, choose the one person that's going to be like your best bud going through this and you're going to be a team. You're going to become a pair. Mm -hmm. And they do that only to discover that only one of those of them will survive. They're actually going to be playing against each other. It's just, it was so clever because it, it's writing the it's writing the emotions of the the characters in the show, but also the audience. Mm, it's brutal. Couldn't agree more. And and each of one of those mini narratives, particularly the main characters, um, yeah, awful. Um, and just a a nod to the the grand ending, the, the big ending here. Mm. Um, I thought it was really clever that the old guy kept talking about how that was his neighbourhood, looked just like his neighbourhood, and how his house should be just around the corner. Very cool. Absolutely. I thought the same. When we know what we know at the end and you look back on that, that adds a whole dimension to it, doesn't it? That he's, yeah. he's the grand designer here. So it, it would have been his neighbourhood, no doubt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, then, and then you start thinking, well, how did he know these tips about tug of war? Well, how many, how many games of tug of war has this guy seen? play out mm. and he's analyzed it he knows exactly what works and what doesn't in a game of tug of war yeah nasty yeah. <laughs> yeah that was that was great that moment i have to say though that in general the extra layer of ilnam i think he's called ilnam yeah um of him being revealed as the mastermind i'm not sure i needed that like yeah. i agree completely that it it made that scene in hindsight looks so great and it it made you rethink a lot of stuff that happened in the film. But it, it, one part of me thought it was getting just, just a little bit too tricksy. Mm, yeah. And you know what? Look, let's talk about Reminds Me Of for a second because mm. I've got one that's perfect for this. It really made me think of Old Boy. And I know I've talked about Old Boy before, but you do have this sense of a wealthy person who's basically playing chess with... Mm. with people who he can afford to move around however he wants. And it all stems back to his childhood and yes. trauma there. And then you get right to the end and you discover that there's that link. The person who you least expected, you know, was there all along pulling the strings. And it just feels it, it feels like a theme that we've seen in, in Korean films, and particularly in Old Boys as such a classic. Um, it made me it made me think about that for sure. That's that's a that's a great reference. Yeah, I can, I can see it completely as you were as you were talking that through. Actually, I'm yeah. thinking, yes, I've I've seen that play out in the film too, and I'm trying to think what it is. And the film I was thinking of was the American version of Old Boy. <laughs> so I'm exactly. seeing all these different people because I haven't seen the Korean version yet. I can't get it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I I know it from the other other version, and it's, that's beautiful. Yeah, and even that sense of that that scene where he walks into his whatever apartment that's empty, 
mm. and they have that they have the discussion about why he did it all and mm. you know like that's 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 old boy as well you get that showdown at the end you do yeah. yeah okay that makes me perhaps like that ending a little bit more it feels like it's maybe a trope in well, not just korean cinema in any in any storytelling i suppose yeah Something they seem to do quite well, though, sort of mm. the big the big twist and that whole class warfare thing of like the wealthy pulling the strings on all of the all of the lower socioeconomic classes. Well, now that you mentioned that, let's go s- straight into director Bong and Parasite. Well, oh no, Snowpiercer. I was going to say Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah, Parasite, totally. Parasite too tonally, but Snowpiercer as far as the. The different classes and the struggles again in amongst them. Absolutely, and the horrors committed on those lower on those lower class people. Yeah, mm. that's a great call. Well, are we talking references now? Because I've got a bunch. Should we? I think we can jump around, but unless there's one that has come up <laughs> naturally, we probably should just talk about the very ending. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it, great call. It took a strange turn. So we we expected that our hero would win. I think. And he did, and there was quite an emotive, you know, moment between him and his mate who he fought against, and uh, that was all great. But that that was that was finished finished early in the last episode, and then and then we go on to the, yeah. the big reveal of um, of the old man. But, can I can I just say yeah. first though, I was quietly rooting for one of the other characters to win. Were you? And I'll yes, and I'll I'll tell you why. I'm just gonna find one, her name. A specific. Oh well, yes. okay. We'll say no more because you're talking about um, Say Byuk. Say Byuk because she's yes. darling of the screen. She's, she's wonderful. The d- darling of the screen, wonderful. Um, but also the only character that was not a um, selfish bastard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she actually was in there for a reason um, for other people. Like she she really, really, really wanted to get her mum. And little brother sorted out, and that was her her reason to be there. The rest had all found they were all mm. they were all sinners, and so there was part of me going, I wonder if they're going to play that angle and kill off our main character and have have Sabiok be the the winner at the end. But I'm glad they didn't actually. I, I think two points. I think it would be unthinkable to kill off that main character. His mm. his face, you know that what it will become iconic, that shot of him smiling, you know, in the, you know, when they're getting their picture taken. Yes, I agree. It's such a beautiful bloody face and expressive. <laughs> I just don't think you could you could get rid of it. I know they got rid of Ned Stark early in Game of Thrones, <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I don't know how how they could kill him off. That said, she is she is mesmerizing and and just the character was great the performance was wonderful yeah and i i really thought that maybe they'd, they'd find a way for them both to get out yeah that was another thing i was mm. i was entertaining whether he'd you know the two of them would team up in some way or tie or something like that mm. but no the show's too br- brutal for that sort of stuff um mm. no <laughs> you know and uh even the question mark of like whether he's going to go back into the show as either a player or a VIP is is really interesting. So now we're talking the very ending, and yeah. you've got one thing that happens is he dyes his hair red. 
Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that the writer, when questioned why, (laughs) uh, that was meant to represent his anger or or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well... (laughs) If anything, it feels like he's he's sort of fulfilled his his need as opposed to his want by that point. You know, like the characters come mm. around to being who he needs to be. But then what happens at the end? So, like, he's he's off to see his daughter in America, yeah? That's that's what's happening. Good, and Good bloke, good move. Yeah, good bloke, good move. A bit late coming. <laughs> a little. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit did, late coming. He did spend a year being a bum. With millions of dollars in the bank. Which he could easily have gone and, um, you know, given us some Korean fried chicken during True. that time and done a lot of other good deeds that I was I was looking, all, all series, I'm looking forward to him doing this at, at the end, like Daddy Warbucks. But that doesn't happen. And, but then finally, yes, he gets his, gets his life together, goes on the plane and then gets the call and in response to, you know, being player four five six being summoned again he turns around and comes back and turns his back on his on going to see his daughter to avenge the squid gamers which tells me that he's learned nothing in the end yeah so you think maybe he has maybe he's got his shit together finally and he's going off to see his daughter which is the right thing to do he looks all like he's doing smart business things with his money (laughs) no he's still going to gamble at all but this time it's it's revenge instead of Instead of like sheer desperation to um, somehow claw his way back up to the top financially, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Crazy. We, we've had a Danish Liam Neeson. Now we've got a Korean Liam Neeson oh, in the making. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. When when that moment happens, I I did sit back and just go, "You're not going to survive this twice." Like, <laughs> you, how lucky is this person to have gotten through the first time? Yeah. Sheer. Dumb luck. There was no skill involved. It was just dumb luck the whole way through. And now he's going to go back in. Wow. It was dumb luck, wasn't it? Yeah. Because like the first time he was saved, the marbles, he cheated. Yes. Um, the tug of war, the, the old bloke knew what he was doing. The last game, which was brutal. The glass. The, the glass. He oh. was just at the back of the line. He just got lucky. Got lucky, and he wasn't even going to take. He was going to take number one, and some <laughs> other dude just Asked be- for begged it. him to change. So he, oh. he nothing off his own bat. Pretty crazy. He he really he really was crap, but he <laughs> so, made it through. So he's just as big a dope in yeah. the game as as out of it. But yeah. we love him. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but he's lovable. That's that's his that's his winning his yeah. winning thing. What these, this whole scenario reminds me of is, and there's a whole string of these films, um, is The Hunger Games. Cannot yeah. not bring up The Hunger Games. And with The Hunger Games comes Battle Royale, which is the Japanese teen slaughter fest, in, which is in the vein of Hunger Games, although it came before Hunger Games. And there's a bit of like, did Hunger Games steal that? I don't know about any of that. But I think the concept's kind of older than both of them anyway, so I don't know if it really matters. And I'll throw a third one in there, The Running Man Mm. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Stephen King story from 1987. I haven't seen The Running Man, but... Oh, and a fourth one, Hard Target, (laughs) 1993, Jean-Claude Van Damme. All of those are rippers, and they're all regular people 
thrown into battle against other regular people, all for the enjoyment of of wealthy psychopaths, basically. (laughs) It's exactly the same. And the fact that those scenarios just play out over and over again, and it stems from other things like the Lord of the Flies, for example, Mm. or any any million, (laughs) any one of a million stories. But we, we love them as a species, don't we? It's It goes back to Darwin, like survival of the fittest. Yes. We're just infatuated by watching that play out, I suppose. And you know what? Usually in these stories, it's the most angelic or like the most redeemable human wins in the end. <laughs> but actually what I like about Squid Game is that that's not really the case. He's not. Because if, if, if that were the case, it would be Sabiok who would, who, who would win. You know, she's the one with the least sin. Um, mm. So she should win the game of, of humans fighting each other to the death. But no. And I think that's great. So what is it that's different about Squid Game? I'd argue it's as, at least as good and better than some of the ones you've reeled off. And Hunger Games was fine. I didn't yep. mind it. But Squid Game's just more fun. And I'd put it down to the main actor because he's flawed we, we just root for him and, you know, feel his journey so much. And I think that's what, what gets us. I think maybe why it appeals today is that, you know, deep down Americans are kind of puritanical and they need their heroes to be saints. And mm-hmm. Koreans don't have that problem. And in this day and age, I think we've seen the Hollywood format play out for long enough that actually it's it's refreshing to see real flawed characters in these, yep. but still within genre, you know, like within entertaining stories that are, you know, fun to watch, but we're seeing flawed characters that you would normally only get in like a, um, like an indie drama or something else elsewhere. I'd, I'd suggest that you, you get the flawed characters in Hollywood, but they're, they're not as intricately displayed and, you know, yeah. it's just cliched, smokes too much, drinks too much, paying alimony, you know, to the <laughs> X, Y. Character right. dot points rather than, than being so relatable. It's changing too. Like, mm. you know, shows like Succession are interesting. That's a family full of flawed characters. Um, so, like, it is it is shifting. Uh, so what have we done? We've done Hunger Games, obvious, some of the Snowpiercer and that sort of thing, fairly obvious. I've got a couple of random ones, and this goes to the violence. Like the in that red light, green light, mm. first game, like yeah. that. That's really the one that I think really drags us all in, because that yeah. is just absolutely insanely brutal. And and that's that's the one where if the motion detector with that big dummy with the funny eyes picks up that you're moving when you're not not meant to be, mm-hmm. sniper snipers from from everywhere just shoot you dead. Yeah. So that reminded me of. The awful scene, and the only scene I remember from from Schindler's List, where uh, is it Ray Fiennes? I think he's on a balcony, just taking pot shots at people. So completely different tone, awful tone in that case, but just horrific in a in a similar way. So that that was one, and then the other one that's more obscure is Louis Benwell, who I've mentioned several times, and I think different movies. But this is one I saw recently called The Phantom of Liberty. Um, which was a mid-70s um, French film. And there's a scene there where there's a sniper in a, in a in this big building in Paris just taking pot shots at people in the in the city. And the, the tone of that one is 
so quirky because it's it's not really done in the Schindler's List way. This one was more just almost mundane, like a normal a normal day, and you don't know how to feel about it. The idea of depersonalizing death like that was c- consistent across them all. Yeah, it's that sort of meaningless death, mm. you know, that was that sort of blasé approach to just killing people and it's ra- it's seemingly random it's it's horrifying isn't it i have one last one that i wanted to mention uh and it just popped into my head as i was thinking about this film earlier today this incredible film from the 90s i think called the cube did you ever oh, see that yeah that, i nearly mentioned that myself it's it reminded just, me a lot of it. And the yes. the vision behind you somehow reminds me of it as well because they yeah. feel like you're trapped in a cube. And I think the thing that is different about this show from, from The Hunger Games and some of these other references that we've mentioned is mm. the game element of it. I mean, those other ones have games in them, but they're brutal, you know. It's all about fighting, whereas this has this playful quality to it that's really disturbing, and that's what you get in the cube, like... Every one of those Pandora's box cube thingos that they have has a riddle to it. And you have to solve the numbers on the edges of them all to figure out the pattern that they're all moving in. Some of them will kill you. Some of them won't in different ways. And it also had that element of we're going to drop a bunch of random people in, seemingly random. However, if they all work together, they have the skills to solve this thing. It was pretty cool. It was a cool film. It was a cool film, was it? Vincent Natalie, yeah. I've got a feeling his name was the director. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's um, that's one of my favourites. That's a great a great call. I haven't seen it for years, but yeah, it just it just pops straight back into my head. And uh, oh, could they be making? There was a sequel already, I think. Uh, okay, no, no. There's there's just a there's a game show called The Cube. For a second there, I thought they were remaking it. What a ripper that film was. I reckon that film would be responsible for several lesser-known films that we've probably seen and forgotten or yes. not bothered seeing throughout the late 90s, perhaps, and, and onwards. Uh, uh, it was just called Cube, 90, 97, Vincenzo Natale. Uh, what did I say? Vincent. I got close. Yeah, yep. you were very close. What a ripper. Yeah, that is a ripper. I don't know what that guy's made since, but I'm I, sure people threw money at him after that because it, it was a great film. I'm sure I've seen others of his. I... I can't remember if I was oh. as, as, as happy or not. Yeah, okay. So he's done a lot of TV. He did a bit of Hannibal. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. There was a film called Cypher Splice, which was a... Ah, uh, yes. I think that was like a horror sci-fi. Is that with the Queen's Gambit um, actress? I think I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, okay. So he's done some stuff. He's done all right. Yeah. Good good stuff. Well, <laughs> he could have stopped at the Cube and he would have um, done his yeah. work. I've got probably one more, and I think then then I'm done. Westworld, the I'm thinking of the series, the recent series. Yep. Uh, on the basis of uh, the world as a game, mm. and all the players in that game, really just there for the pleasure of the um, cliched rich white blokes, mainly the money yes. white blokes coming in to shoot whoever they want and <laughs> and do whatever whatever they want to the to the characters to rape murder and pillage yeah that's a great call actually vincenzo has directed two episodes of westworld so really crossover yeah yeah there you go yeah wow <laughs> reminds me of westworld in another way that i'm a bit frightened of mm, okay um, 
And and that is with Westworld in season one, you have a really tight, closed story. Like the world mm. is there and you really can't see outside of it. And the big reveal is, you know, what what are the mechanics outside of this world and who's pulling the strings? And I feel that we get a very similar expose in, in Squid Game. Mm-hmm. As the Westworld universe over the following seasons expanded and starts to go outside of that little actual Westworld and everything starts getting weird, it lost. It started losing its punch to me and I'm just afraid that this Squid Game story is going to go beyond that and try and get more and more clever. Yeah. And I think that's what started to annoy me in the last episode where they try to build layer upon layer of of storyline and meaning. Great call, yeah. And I, I totally agree about Westworld. That was a banging first season. It was mm. incredible, that world that we were brought into. And once they expanded it, it lost a whole bunch of its magic. Totally agree. The only thing I can say for this is that I will trust in the Koreans for now and hope hope for the best. <laughs> yep, I, I agree. But I agree, it's a, it's, it's a worry. I know exactly what you're saying. We didn't mention Truman Show. Yeah. Not, not much to say, but, you know, it's a reality TV show where, you know, we all just have fun watching other people's sufferings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Doc, I think I think we've covered, well, at least everything that I could think of to say about the show. I, I don't think we have. I think we could go all night because mm-hmm. you could deep dive into any one of the, the characters that we haven't even mentioned. The, True. The bad guy, the, the crazy other chick. <laughs> Whatever her name was. The crazy other chick was incredible. Her and Jok Su. Yeah. What a couple. All all amazing, but we haven't got all night and we've gone over. Mm. So I think we, for the benefit of ourselves and our viewers and listeners, I think we wrap it up. We should wrap it up. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, episode 50 done. Done. Congratulations. Half Congrats, century. Hope, hope to see you in the studio soon. Absolutely. All right. Cheers, Doc. See you next time. Bye.